Hey, welcome to week three of uh, our series called Patterns. I'm so glad that you chose to be here today. This series, we've been talking about the kinds of patterns, the habits that, we've, that we are engaged in that ultimately aren't best for us and how to establish new patterns that will lead to life, that will lead to the life God has intended for us. And remember, in this series, we've learned that patterns in and of themselves are not bad in any way, form, or fashion. It's good to live in routine. It's good to have habitual things that we do, so long as those habitual things honor God. So the last two weeks, if you haven't been here, we've, we've basically established two patterns that ultimately will lead to life. We've talked about the pattern of meeting together, this ecclesia, this doing life together as a church. And I hope that you've made it a priority in your schedule already to be consistent to uh, this church or if for some reason you're just here visiting to whatever church that you uh, are already connected to. And so be consistent That's a pattern that leads to life. We encourage one another, pray for one another, irritate one another. We're going to do some more of that today, by the way. That'll be a lot of fun. Last week, we talked about the pattern of breaking habitual sin. I walked out last week all bound up with tape, and we talked about the importance of being set free from that. And my prayer is that this week, if if you're battling with habitual sin, that you took a step towards what we called walking in the Spirit or investing or sowing in the Spirit, that you spent some time in God's Word praying or or reading His Word, that you spent some time this week praying, not just those prayers that are, God, you know, help me and I need this and I need that, but rather, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to do through me? Those kinds of prayers uh, that lead to this spiritual life. And then also, if you haven't picked a day this year to fast, to go without food or something of great value to you, I would encourage you to go ahead and consider doing that. For me, the first week in February is the week that I'm starting that process for me. Uh, I haven't just confirmed yet for me if it's one day or seven, but somewhere between one and seven days, I'm going to devote to just going without solid food so that I can be focused on some spiritual things. I'm going to invite you to do that as well. It's a great pattern to establish in your life. And so those things are sowing to the Spirit so that we can reap from the Spirit the life that comes from that. So those are the first two weeks, and I'm thankful that you chose to come back now for week three. This is going to be the most difficult of the three weeks of the four-week series that we have to hear. I'm just going to tell you that up front, and I'll share with you why in just a moment. So if you're a guest, good call on being here today at Solace Church. Thanks for being here. If you're watching online at solacechurch.com, thanks for being a part of our online community this morning. Let me say this to you. If you're watching online, for whatever reason you're away, we would love to see you here. Don't get into the pattern of just watching online. Make sure that you come and celebrate Christ with us right here at Solace Church. All right, so um, let's go back for a moment to reestablish the foundation that we've built this entire series on. In Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, this is what Paul says. Remember, in verse number 1, he says we should present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. That we offer our lives to Christ because Christ offered his life to us. And in verse number 2, he goes on to say that we should not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but rather that we should be transformed. That there, that there are patterns that are good, and but there is a worldly pattern that ultimately isn't best for us. And our purpose after salvation, after we receive Christ, is to be transformed out of the patterns that we used to be conformed to. To be transformed into new patterns and to leave behind the old patterns that do not bring life. So week three, let's talk about the pattern of generosity. The pattern of generosity 
When I say the pattern of generosity, I am specifically talking about the pattern of financial richness towards God. Financial richness towards God. And the reason why I recognize this is going to be a very unpopular message today of the four messages that I, that I share with you is because the truth is this message when we talk about money is the most difficult for our hearts to really get behind. And I'll share with you why that's the case in just a moment. So when we talk about financial generosity, living in this pattern, one of the things that we see in Scripture is that from cover to cover, God calls his people to live in the pattern of being rich towards him. In the Old Testament, it was giving to the temple or the tabernacle. In the New Testament, the picture is through the church and what we're doing here today. And so I want to talk to you about what that looks like. One of the things I know that happens, though, when you talk about financial generosity is that oftentimes people want to immediately go to, well, I don't know that I necessarily give financially through the church, but I do a whole lot of other good. So I serve in certain capacities, and I give myself and my time away in other capacities. And so the whole idea of, of, of giving financially, I get that that's for some, but maybe not for all. I just want to challenge you to just not believe that line of thinking today. That the idea of biblical generosity through your finances is from cover to cover. And we're going to see one of those cases here today. All right, so one of the things you're going to be tempted to do as I share over the next few minutes is you're going to be tempted to do um, either emotionally, uh, intellectually, or even physically, you're going to be tempted to do this. Can I I just ask you to just, just, just not? Not because of any other reason then when God speaks about financial generosity, he speaks about the enrichment that comes into our lives and the incredible blessing he does through our lives as we live this out. I want to give you a couple of thoughts before we look into Scripture. A couple of things I want you to write down as it relates to financial generosity that I think we need to think about before we dive into Scripture. First of all, I want you to know that generosity is never a money problem. It's always a heart problem. Developing the pattern of generosity is never a money problem. And the reason why I can say that is because of the story of the widow's might in Scripture. Jesus is is observing the the goings-on of first century Jews, and he observes a widow who is clearly broke poor financially. She goes and she offers all that she has to the temple, financially all that she has to the temple. This is so impactful to Jesus that he tells the story, and that story is now told some 2,000 years later to an audience called Solace Church. It's not about how much, or how, uh, how much uh, the, the widow had or did not have, but rather her heart behind wanting to give first in the priority relationship of, of, uh, of the one she loved the most, which was God himself, right? Generosity is never about money. It is always about a heart. I have seen very, very poor, economic, economically speaking, people give generously, way above and beyond. Paul celebrates that, by the way, in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at that just briefly in a moment. He celebrates the church of Macedonia because they gave out of their poverty. I've seen very, very poor people financially give lavishly in terms of percentage of their income. And I've actually seen very, very wealthy people not give anything in terms of through the church. It's not about money. It's about the heart. Secondly, I would say this, if you're writing things down, my heart follows my financial investment. My heart follows my financial investment. All right, so here's reality. Where you give your financial treasure, your heart goes right along with it. 
Um, one of the reasons, and, and I just want to say this up front, one of the reasons why some people don't become attached to the ecclesia, the gathering every single week, is they never made a financial contribution so that the God can do something through their finances to the church. So the church is optional and in su- a suggestion in their, in their work week or in their busy lives, but it's never become a priority then because their heart is not there because their finances aren't there. Uh, if you and I were to sit down, just over lunch, and we would have a very awkward conversation and went something like this. Hey, bring your, bring your bank account and your expense statement, and I'll bring mine, and let's just sit down over lunch. How would that go? If we were just to sit down and, and we were just to have a conversation, let's just go over everything you spent money on this month. I'll do the same thing for you. Do you know what would happen over the course of that hour long at lunch? I would be able to see what you value. And you would be able to see what I value. Now, I understand that there are certain things that are, that are, that are part of just living in this life. You know, we're going to have to have a house, so we have a rent payment or a mortgage. Or maybe, maybe you've been blessed enough to be able to pay that off. But there would probably be that somewhere in your finances. Um, utility payments and insurance payments and a truck payment or car payment or something like that for most people. Um, but then there's all those other things like like what we spend our money on in terms of food. Uh, do we buy groceries or do we eat out a bunch? Or um, you know, uh, uh, other kind of miscellaneous items like when we go shopping. Uh, let me tell you a big one, which is kids. <laughs> They're expensive, really expensive. Um, I value them, so I spend money on them. Uh, my kids need new cleats for athletics. My kid gets new cleats. New basketball shoes, got new basketball shoes. You need a basketball to practice basketball, here's your basketball. You need a uniform so that you can play the basketball game after you've practiced the basketball game. Here's your uniform, right? And I gladly spend those mon- that, that kind of money. You need a new toy for your room? Okay, all right, I probably can swing that as well. You need another new toy? I don't know for sure, but uh, maybe, right? right? This is the nature. Our, our, banking, our, our checking accounts look just like that. And the reason why I spend so much money on my kids is because I love them. And the reason why I spend money on my family is because I love, you know what, we have other passions as well. If you have season tickets to a football team, it's good, man. You're going to go to the game. You bought the tickets, man. You got to go to the game, right? Because you spent the money because your heart is there. Nothing wrong with that. I love the Sooners. Hope they win every game. My family, extended family, we have season tickets as well to the Sooners game. Love that. Wish I could go more, actually. But my heart is there. I got Sooner garb at my house. I'm going to wear my Sooner shirt with pride. Right? Because I love them. What do you love? What do you value? What does your checking account say that you value? Your heart is attached to that. Jesus could not have said it any more clear. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I want to take you in Scripture Because something very interesting happens in the life of Jesus as he is walking this earth. He's he's approached by an individual. You'll see the conversation in just a moment. He's approached by an individual, which leads him to a teachable moment. Jesus is very good at this. All throughout the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Jesus is going to take a real-life situation that he's faced with, and he's going to teach from that. Now, oftentimes, the way that he does that is through parables. If you don't know what the word parable parable, uh, means, I grew up with the simple understanding that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And what that means, basically, is Jesus... 
Jesus is going to use something from our life, and he's going to teach us about the kingdom. He's going to teach us about how we should be thinking and responding in view of what God longs for us in our lives. All right, so a parable. Jesus is going to give us a parable. Interesting note for those of you who like to take notes and write things down. Do you know that there's about 30 parables in the New Testament, in the Gospels? About 30. Do you know 19 of them have to do with money? That is to say, Jesus thought so much about the conversation we're going to have today that he spent more time talking about it than any other kind of conversation related to Christianity. All right, so what does that look like? Go with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. Now, I know at Saul's Church we can multitask. So if you use your iPhone or iPad to look at Scripture, go ahead, if you haven't already, and check in at solacechurch.com and then flip right over to your Bible app and we can do that together. Right? You guys are awesome because you can multitask. By the way, while you were worshiping and I was in the green room, I was worshiping with you and I happened to notice a few of you checked in. And I liked it during real time. That's how we roll at Saul's Church. One day, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to invite the inheritance with me. Now, this is is an awkward start to a story. There's no doubt. It seems weird to us in our world that someone would randomly come up to, for instance, a pastor and say, "Hey, Hey, 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 I got an issue about a legal case, and I need you to resolve that for us. I mean, we have court systems, and were, it's generally true that no one would come to the pastor for this kind of conversation. In the first century, however, this is actually pretty normal, that a rabbi stood in such a position of prestige uh, and, and, and influence in the Jewish community that it wasn't abnormal for a rabbi to be handling these kinds of disputes in the first century. So it's not abnormal at all that this would take place. But Jesus is going to use this very normal situation to teach a great principle. Now, notice what he says. Someone in the crowd said, uh, go back to that verse real quick. Someone in this crowd said, verse 13, Teacher, tell my brother to, invite, to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Can you believe that people fight over inheritance? I mean, who would have thought that, you know, when there's a lot of money at stake, that people wouldn't get along? I mean, it's shocking to believe that, right? Of course it's not, because this happens all the time. Because money is, the, is, 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 is an issue that's so closely attached to our hearts. Verse 14, Jesus replied, man, that really is translated from the Greek, dude. (laughs) I mean, who who pointed me as your judge? I'm not the one to judge your dispute, man. You got the wrong person. However, since you brought it up, let me give you some perspective. He goes on to say in verse number 15. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do you know, church, that this phrase, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, is countercultural? Do you know that? That Jesus rocks the patterns of this world mentality when he says this. Because the truth of the matter is, this is exactly how the world thinks. When I amass possessions, I have achieved a certain end or a certain goal. And Jesus said that is absolutely not true. Your life does not consist in amassing possessions. Just before that, he gives a warning. I don't know for sure if this is absolutely true. 
But in my research, I believe this may be the only time in Scripture where Jesus gives a double warning. He will often say, watch out. He'll often say, be on your guard. But this may be or one of the few times in Scripture where Jesus starts this conversation out with a double warning. If Jesus, the God of the universe, the creator of this world, your creator, my creator, pauses for a moment and says, watch out, be on your guard. Let me tell you twice so you get it, we ought to perk up. I've read this story before. In my study this week, something stuck out in this passage of scripture that did not stick out before. Maybe you see it. Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, I've heard of the battle, battle or the pattern of living in greed. I'd not considered that there are multiple kinds of greed. That's an interesting thought. I was listening to a message this past week, and, and, and the pastor of the church I had not heard of before, I came across his message, and so I'm going to give him credit. He's, out of, he's, out, he's in California, or I mean, sorry, Colorado. He preaches this message, and so he actually does us a favor and gives us the different kinds of greed, at least some for, some for us to think about. It's certainly not exhaustive. And so if you like these, you can give him credit. If you don't like it, you can give him credit. I'm just relaying you the information. What are the kinds of greeds? First of all, there's fearful greed. One of the reasons why we might not live in a pattern of generosity, being rich towards God, is out of fear. Fearful greed. You know what that looks like? Some of us in the room, many of us in the room, quite honestly, probably live paycheck to paycheck. And when you look at your paycheck, it only stretches from the 1st to about the 29th or 30th. And the last day or two is pretty rough for a lot of us in the room. It's true. And the idea of stepping outside of that cycle that you've been in and beginning to be generous towards God, giving financially through the church, is overwhelming. It is so overwhelming that it causes you to live in a pattern of fear so that you are paralyzed by this fact that if I am rich towards God, I will not have enough. If that is you, would you do me a favor after service and read the next part of the teaching of Jesus just after this parable? All right? It starts with, do not worry. Just read it yourself, all right? Check it out. It's a great passage of scripture. But some of us live in this pattern of saying, if I give, I won't have enough. Secondly, covetousness, covetousness greed. What is this? Some of us tend to believe inside of Christianity that God is passionate about making sure I have all I need, and then we add to that also all that I want. And so oftentimes in our finances, we don't find ourselves content in the things that we need. We believe our contentment comes from everything that we want as well. Is there anything wrong with wanting things in of themselves? No. But if it robs us from the ability to be generous towards God, then it is greed and it's counter to what God has for us. And so a lot of us want really cool stuff. I want a boat. Some of you have a boat. I want some sea-doos. Some of you have some sea-doos. I want a four-wheeler and a go-kart. I got several guns that I want as well. Second Amendment. <clears throat> We're definitely in Oklahoma. <laughs> Anything wrong with those things? No. You have a boat? Man, congratulations. That's great. You got CDs, four wheelers, guns. What? I mean, it's great. Those things in and of themselves aren't bad. If they rob me from being able to be generous, it becomes greed. What else? Compulsive greed. Oh man, this is plaguing us right now. 
Do you know today you can go online, shop what you want to shop for on Amazon? By the way, use smile.amazon.com, click Solace Church as the recipient, and they'll send a donation to Solace Church through your purchase. Go to smile.com or smile.amazon.com, click us as the recipient, and we'll receive the benefit of your shopping. But they're brilliant. They have one-click purchases. Do you know what I'm talking about? You, don't, you spend a moment in your life just filling out some stuff. They save it for you so that when you reach the moment where you see something you like, it's just, and I got it. Not only that, they will fly it to your house the same day. That is brilliant, people. No wonder they are the biggest, most successful company of our life. I mean, it is crazy to see what they're doing. One-click and it's mine. <laughs> and we can live in the pattern of one click after one click after one click after one click. And, and, and uh, when they ship that to your house and that box arrives on your, it is Christmas every day. I think in-app purchases will prove to us that everyone has the capacity for generosity. One click. Compulsive. Greed. What else? Family greed. Oh, you're not going to like this. I think sometimes we can buy into the philosophy that if I buy it or purchase it for my family, that it's always justifiable. And that's absolutely not the case. So obviously registering. <laughs> I think we can buy into the lie that says, if it's for my family, it's always justifiable. And I think one of the problems we have in our nation, and it's really tough to speak into because the family's important, is we can begin to deify the family as the priority relationship, and it's absolutely not. Jesus is the priority relationship of our life, and our family comes underneath that priority relationship. Does your family need to be taken care of? Absolutely. But not at the expense of being able to put God in the rightful place in my life so that I can be rich towards him. Family greed. Also, business greed. Business greed is the idea that I'm going to do, do all that I can financially to get ahead, to be promoted, to do whatever it takes to climb in that business ladder or... Or if I'm in charge of resources at a business or owning a business, do everything I can to maximize the profits so that I can receive all the benefits of that. When we lose the perspective of the kingdom in our business, we become greedy in that regard and we miss being rich towards God and it's greed. Next, the good life greed. This is interesting. I think all of us struggle with this at some level. I love first class. At least I think I do. Because it's always right up there. And I'm always right back here. I've never ridden in first class, but I watch those people in first class, and I want that. Their chairs recline all the way flat. I ride like this. With two people right beside me. The person's chair in front leans all the way back and crowds my space. I live in coach. I want first class. When I, when I go on vacation, I want the top floor of the hotel. All of it. 
the whole floor. I want the penthouse. And sometimes I think I'm owed it. And the truth of the matter is, there are some of us who can get so caught up with that that we overexpense ourselves on a cruise to upgrade to the highest level. And we miss the opportunity to be rich towards God. Is there anything wrong with the penthouse? No. No, there's not. But it's robbing from the opportunity to be rich towards God becomes a problem. Lastly, retirement greed. Retirement greed. What is this? Retirement greed, and by the way, I only know of two places in all the New Testament that speak about retirement, and in both cases, it's problematic. There's a problem with storing up things for myself, believing that I have to have so much that robs me from being able to be generous in the moments in, in which God calls me to now. Anything wrong with retirement in and of itself? No, nothing wrong with that. You can certainly find Bible passages about retirement in terms of saving up. Some of us can become so consumed with retirement that we we miss the opportunity to be rich towards God. All right, so I didn't come up with that list. I just gave it to you. So if you like it, good. If you don't, it wasn't for me. Now, story's interesting. Just for a moment, I'm not going to unpack this story in any depth. Let me just read to you the parable. That story, that heaven, heavenly meaning, earthly story. Let's look at it together. And he, and he told a story. He told in this parable, Jesus did, after he said, be on your guard, a man's life is not consistent in the abundance of your possessions. And he told a story about this guy. The, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Good for this rich man. If you have been blessed financially, I am thankful for that. If you have money in the bank and you have margin at the end of the month, if you've got a good paying job or you're getting a promotion, man, I celebrate all that with you. I hope that God exceedingly blesses you financially. Nothing wrong with the story so far. The rich man had a good season. That is great. Verse 17, here's the problem. He thought to himself, notice the word that you're going to see over and over again, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Problem, he left out the fact that God is the one who uh, enabled him to increase his financial position, his material wealth position. He missed that God was the center of that, right? Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my bards and build bigger ones. And there I will store my, all, all my grains and my goods. Seems logical, doesn't it? You have a lot of stuff and you need more room for stuff. <laughs> we do that all the time, by the way. We gotta upgrade houses so we can make room for all our stuff. Verse number 19, and I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Seems logical. Problem. Verse number 20. But God said to him, you fool. Whoa. You fool? This is the good life. He just described what every single one of us in the room thought that we were supposed to be doing with our lives. And God said, that's foolish. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. (laughs) Then they'll fight over the inheritance, like every good family does. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, here's the key verse. I want you to underline, highlight, circle, star, whatever you can do so this verse comes to life in your life and in mine. Verse number 21 
This is how it will be with anyone who stores up, for himself, stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Now, this Greek word translated rich here is in the present, it's a present active participle. What does that mean? All of that means is it's in the present tense. In the Greek, the present is different than it is in English. In Greek, present tense does not mean just something ongoing right now. Present tense means something that has started and continues into the future. Do you see the difference? It's not as though I hear a message like this and okay, I'll be rich for a moment. But rather, Jesus says, this is how it will be for someone who practices storing up for himself, living in the pattern of the world, and does not practice richness, generosity towards God. Do you see that? This is the polar opposite picture. Storing up for the pattern for myself, richness, the pattern towards God. Now, does this parable mean the moment I deal with greed, I'm about to die? No. What this is proving to us is that those who are not rich towards God never live the life that God has ultimately purposed for them. All right, now, I'm going to be very practical for the next couple of minutes because you really need to understand the power of, of, of what Jesus is teaching us here. If the parable says the end of greed is destruction, and it is, then what is the end of richness towards God? What does that do for us? Do you know that in many other places in Scripture, what Scripture tells us over and over and over again is when we live in the pattern of generosity, that God enriches our life in some incredible ways, right? Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, right? Give and it will be returned to you multiple folds over, right? And it's not just a one-to-one financial equation, but rather it is the enriching of our lives when we put God first and are generous towards Him. That is the nature of generosity towards God, richness towards God. Do you know what the Old Testament says about this in Malachi? God, through the prophet Malachi, says to his people, um, uh, test me in this and see. First place the tithe in the storehouse. Give first to, the, to, to, to God. And test me in this and see if I will not open a, the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing so much on you, you can't even be able to stand it. In other words, the heart of God is to enrich the lives of those who are generous towards him first. This is the principle. And this is a faith statement. And today, in your mind and in your heart and maybe still in your body, you're like this. Because you know what it's going to mean when you actually come to terms with this. But what would it look like for you to go, okay, God, I'm okay testing you. All right, now, something interesting happens when people become generous. I don't know if you realize this or not, but people at Solace Church have already bought into generosity. Many of you are already doing it. Can I just say thank you? For those of you who are living this out, thank you. You are helping provide an incredible benefit to the community and to the world. As a matter of fact, just for a moment, let me tell you uh, many of the things that God has been doing through Solace Church over the past three years, just three-year snapshot, because of the generosity of the people of Solace Church already. All right? So I want to show you this. What has God done through us? Over the past three years, we've, th- we've seen 370-plus people give their life to Christ. That's cool. That's amazing. We should clap for that. That's awesome. We have, we have seen 250 bapti- baptisms here on location at our church. Uh, uh, 336 new members uh, of our church. They have joined our church, become a part of our church over the past three years. And we have been able to give away through local and global missions over $463,000. And those resources have gone to impact people who needed desperately to have surgeries. We've rescued children from abortion, women and children from sex trafficking, and on and on the list goes of the difference that God is making in us so that he can do something through us through the generosity of Solace Church. It is incredible what God is doing. 
Now, I begin to think, if that's what God is doing through the generosity right now, what could God do if we all partner together to make this happen? Now, I'm going to give you a couple of statistics in closing that I think are overwhelming. Now, please hear me. These statistics are not meant for us to feel in any way condemned, but rather to show the potential God has placed before us right here in this group. Do you know that all that was accomplished? All that that we just described was accomplished with only three out of four families giving less than $1,000 for the year? Think about this for a moment. Three out of four families in our church who gave anything through Solace Church gave less than $1,000 for the entire year. And do you know that all that was accomplished with this also being true? That one out of three families are giving less than $100 per year for the entire year at Solace Church. Again, I'm not asking you to feel guilty or condemned by that in any way. I just want you to see the potential. Do you see that? That inside of this body of believers, we have the opportunity to allow us to be rich towards God so that we can continue to do more and more and more. Hey, how how about not just one orphanage that we're building, but how about many orphanages that God would allow us to raise up, right? I mean, the opportunities for God to advance his kingdom through Solace Church are are huge as we become generous people collectively, right? So I'm going to invite you on that journey with me. Don't resist that. Come on, man. It's a great journey. Now, I'm going to give you a chance to take a step today. I don't know what your step looks like, but, but so that you don't think I'm asking you to like go sell all your possessions, although Jesus might do that to you because he has before in the past. I want to ask you to consider just taking a step towards generosity. I'm going to give you four possibilities this morning in, in conclusion and, and just, just, just for you to consider what God through his spirit might be calling you to do. For instance, step number one, some of you would just want to give for the first time. There are some of you in the room today, you've never given anything. You've never been rich towards God through his local church. It's never happened in your life. And I'm going to invite you today to give something. What is the number you should give? I have no idea. It should be more than 50 cents. It should be somewhere above that. I don't know what that number ends up being for you. But give out of some heart of generosity. I want to stretch myself a little bit. So give for the first time, whatever that is. Some of you are going to take that step. By the way, I want to celebrate that. Some of you are going to take that step today, and I think it is huge. Not for, some, um, uh, not for any other purpose except for how it's going to start softening your heart for kingdom priorities, which is a great thing for you to do. Some of you this morning, number two, need to take the step to start giving regularly. Some of you gave something to Solace Church or through Solace Church last year. I'm going to invite you to do it every single week in some capacity. You know, here's what's really cool about technology today. If you forget your checkbook at home, you don't have an excuse for not giving like we used to. You can give online at solacechurch.com and you can set up a regular reoccurring gift every single week or however often you get paid. If you get paid once a week, once a week. If you get paid uh, twice a month, twice a month. You get once a month, once a month. Whatever regular looks like for you, you can start giving. You can give through your bill pay. You can go through any, almost any bank has bill pay where you can just say, send this check every month to the church. You can forget it at that point. It'll go out of your account every single time that you call for it to go out, right? So start giving regularly on a consistent basis. Some of us need to start tithing. I think tithing is the, is the, is the standard by which God calls us 
to begin to be generous, all right? I think this is the picture of the beginning of richness towards God. And I'm not saying we're all there yet, and I got that, but I think the tithe level, the 10% of our gross income, is what God has called us to as the church, right? And this is not some Old Testament law that I'm trying to hang over your necks. I'm just simply saying it is a great measuring rod to see how we place God first as priority in our life. And I would encourage you, some of you are in that position. As a matter of fact, in front of you right now, in, in, the, in the seat back in front of you, unless you're sitting on the front row, right, uh, right in the seat back in front of you, we have what we call the 90-day tithe challenge at Solace Church. There's a card. And I, will, you do this, will you do this for me? I know this is going to be really, really hard. But will you, will you just take one of those out? Will you just look at it with me for a moment? I know it's awkward. I know you don't want to do it and you're already mad at me. But if you'll just pull that out and just look at it for a moment right in front of you. This card just simply says, I'm going to take a step to trust God. And here's the cool part about it. If you'll take that step with us, we're going to partner with you and share some of the risk. If after 90 days you feel like that it, for whatever reason it wasn't the right fit for your family to, to be tithing at Solace Church, we will refund you the entire amount of that, of that tithe. That's right. I'll write you a check. Well, I won't. Someone in our organization write you a check for the entire amount of what you gave. The worst case scenario for you today, church, is that you saved Three, uh, 10% over three months, and you just got it back after three months. That's as bad as it's going to get for you. All right. We'll take the step with you if you'll sign up. Some of us need to start tithing. Lastly, I would say this, and there's some of us in the room like this. Some of us need to take another step towards giving extravagantly. And what that means is, is that you begin to realize that this life is not meant for you, and you're meant for another world, and you begin to realize, how can I live on less so that I can give more? Right. How can I begin to reorder my life so that I can become even more generous and grow in the grace of giving. Some of you are there, and I invite you on that journey. You know this. If you're on that journey, you know this. You cannot outgive God. And as you give, he enriches your life in so many incredible ways. And so some of you are there, and as God leads you to take that next step, I'm excited to see what that looks like for you. All right, now. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.